Well, I'll invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. And um, I want us to read from verse 5. So not 1 as printed on the sheet, but verse 5 down to 25. And before we do that, let's, let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we pray once again uh, that you would open it up to us. That by your spirit you would help us to understand it and take from it all that you would teach us. Help us to be responsive to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we looked at verses 1 to 4, but uh, move on to verse 5. And uh, Luke tells us, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and their name, her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or, or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the power of the Spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So we started looking at Luke's gospel this morning, uh, and we'll be doing so uh, through, the, through December, pretty much, in fact entirely, 
And, uh, and you, remember, you may remember this morning that um, Lucas was started off by showing us how his account came into being. Uh, that, they are, that what he says here is, is based upon uh, a, a, no, a set of known facts about the Lord Jesus Christ that were circulating at the time. And these facts are facts to which there had been eyewitnesses uh, who had also, who'd passed on and testified to those facts. And many of those eyewitnesses were still alive at the time of Luke's writing. So there's, there's a verification chain there that you could go and check if you wanted to. Um, and Luke has looked into all of these things and, uh, and written them down in an orderly account. And he's done so because he wants his friend Theophilus to be certain about the things that have been taught. So Theophilus has been taught a great many things about Jesus. But he's maybe asking the question, uh, how can I know that these things are true? And Luke does the research for him uh, and lays it all out for him and therefore lays it all out for us so that we too can have certainty as well. That's why we have the Bible, isn't it? We have the Bible uh, to go back to when we're not sure, to remember how this book came into being and to remember the God who has given it and, and therefore we can have confidence in its contents. And it's the testimony of millions of people down the ages, uh, down since, since Christ, and from before that, that lives have been changed because of the contents of this book. That it speaks of, a, of Lord Jesus Christ, and as they hear that message, the Holy Spirit comes and changes people, makes them new people in Christ. And it's an amazing thing that happens. Uh, so you, and the point here is that you cannot simply dismiss the gospel accounts as myth or legend or made-up stories, um, but they're actually verifiable facts that are written down for us. And it's a story that's it's written for all kinds of people. Um, not just for Jews or Christians, but for all kinds of people. Everybody can look at this book and see for themselves what it is that Jesus came to do. And so I, I hope over the next few weeks we'll, we'll look at chapters 1 and 2 and see why Jesus is so important and what, what he accomplished and what he came to accomplish. So Luke's, but Luke's account, I said that Luke has various um, unique features and one of the unique features of Luke's gospel is, is that it starts in a strange place. Uh, it doesn't start with Jesus. It actually starts with another family altogether. It starts with an aging man and woman, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And all the action of this account, this passage that we read earlier, uh, resolves around a message that they receive from God through an angel. And we've got several things we want to to say about this message this, this evening. And the first thing to say is it's a totally unexpected message. Uh, Zechariah was not expecting what actually happened in the temple. Um, we are to, when we come to the Bible, we're, we're to engage our minds with what Luke is saying and to consider it all carefully. But straight away, because we're into this realm of the unusual, sometimes it's easy for people just to dismiss it. Uh, Because, you know, verse 11 happens. (laughs) Um, 
And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I mean, that's just strange, isn't it? It's so out of the ordinary. What's going on here? Um, And people would maybe automatically want to dismiss all that. But remember, Luke is writing this down. He's verified the facts. He's checked them out. He's saying, this actually happened. And uh, this angel begins to speak to Zechariah. So here's Luke writing about God and an angel and a message and speaking about prophecy. And maybe, maybe you're thinking this evening, I, I'm not sure I believe this. And maybe you've already switched off, but just stick with us for a minute. Uh, stick with it. Let me, let me tell you what happens. You know, that what happens is just as unexpected for Zechariah as it is for us as we read it. The fact is that God had not spoken to people for about 400 years at the time of this account. It's at a time when the people of Israel or people of Judah had, had, or some of them had come back from exile to Babylon some 400 years, 500 years before. They had rebuilt the city under Nehemiah you can read the story of Nehemiah how he rebuilt the walls of the city and and all the houses and everything and they begun to rebuild the temple of the Holy Spirit so you read about that in uh, in Ezra and and, uh, Haggai and uh, and there were those prophets in those days 400 years before um, Haggai, Malachi Zechariah, the last Old Testament prophets, and they formed the, the last three books of the Old Testament. Uh, perhaps not surprisingly. And you know, when, when Israel came back from, from exile, when Judah came back from exile, it seemed like it was great. God was, God was finally bringing in his kingdom. I mean, the exile was a disaster for, for the Jews. Say, where is God's promises? What's happening to all of God's promises? And so when they come back and they're able to re- begin to rebuild the temple, uh, they begin, maybe begin to start thinking, is God moving? Is God doing a great thing amongst us? But then 400 years of silence, nothing happens. In fact, they simply become, you know, Judea becomes uh, another vassal territory under the thumb of the Romans. So they're not ruling in any meaningful sense. They have, a, they have a king, Herod, but he's a puppet king, appointed by the Romans. And so it's, it's hardly the great and glorious kingdom that uh, they were coming to expect. And it's, you know, in, all of, in all of this, God is silent for 400 years. And it's into this setting that Zechariah... Uh, finds himself. He's a priest. A priest of the division of Abijah. And it seems to be that the priesthood was divided um, into 24 divisions. Uh, Commentators tell us this. Divided into 24 divisions. uh, Maybe between 4 and 9 families per division. And they took it in turns uh, twice a year to minister at the temple. And So each division is given the the job for the whole week. And so they have a week of serving at the temple. And then wait six months and then it's their turn again. Um, And 
In many ways, religious life might have seemed quite routine for them. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth are very faithful. I mean, they're described here as both, verse 6, as both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Um, They are not sinless, but they are uh, outwardly beyond reproach. They're leading good lives before God. And uh, nobody can bring any reproach against them. And so this, this ministry, though, in the temple, every six months is kind of a highlight of your existence as a priest. And more than that, you know, one of those priests in the division, uh, if their name was drawn out by lot, you know, by random process, they could get to go into the temple and burn the incense and offer the prayers. You know, incense represents the, the prayers to God, and, and the priest would then bring the prayers of the people to God. And so Zechariah is going through this, and he is chosen, and he goes in to burn the incense and to lay himself prostrate before the Lord and to, to pray the prayers that he's supposed to pray on behalf of the multitudes that are gathered outside. And in a sense, there's something routine about that. That's what they do every, every week. Somebody is going in and laying before, prostrate before God and offering the prayers before God. You know, he didn't expect anything out of the ordinary. And there's something about routine that makes us skeptical of anything that's out of the ordinary. Um, everybody, I think everybody at some level wants some uniform, uniformity and predictability about their lives. Nobody likes unpredictability and difficulty. They like routine, um, especially perhaps as you get older. You like things to, you like to know what's happening all the time. And routine is good. We think it as a, of it as a good. And we're taught to think in terms of predictability, aren't we? Um, you know, I used to be a scientist. I suppose some people say I still am, but you know, I used to be a scientist. I used to do scientific research before I was in the ministry. And, you know, science, and we've got some people who are scientists uh, doing research, and science depends a lot on predictability. You know, if, if nothing is predictable, uh, then how can you ever have theories about anything, and how can you then uh, plan to harness the, the things about the, the, the universe we live in uh, to make our lives better? Um, you know, a lot depends on that predictability. And if a, a phenomenon is not repeatable, then it's, it cannot be checked, says the scientist. You know, if it's a one-off thing, scientists often dis, dis, dismiss one-off things in life because it can't be checked, which is a fair point if you're a scientist within that framework. But we're, it means that we're taught to not to look for things that are out of the ordinary, not to accept things that are out of the ordinary. And even if we're not scientists, you know, the humdrum kind of repeatable nature of our lives trains us to ex- not to expect the unpredictable. But Zechariah is interrupted. And in verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And not only does an angel appear, but the angel begins to speak. I mean, how, how strange is that? He begins to speak in verse 13. 
Friends, as we think about that, I just want you to pause for a second and think about, open your minds to an important possibility. If you're not a Christian, that there is a God, if there is a God in heaven, there may be a God in heaven that you have not yet discovered. And that if you have not yet discovered him, you maybe don't expect anything from him if he does exist. But you see, the Bible always presents to us a a God who intervenes in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. That he acts in special ways to do the things that he is planning. And he comes into people's lives and to change them forever. And this is what happens to Zechariah. He sends an angel to Zechariah. And as you think about that, I can't guarantee that God... uh, wants to send an angel into your life but I do know that God wants to change your life for the good by coming into your life and that God is able to do that and the thing about God is he rarely comes when you're expecting him he knows when he's coming into your life but you may not necessarily know anything about it you may be unexpected Completely lacking any expectation that he will come. In fact, you maybe even don't want him to come. But sometimes people find that he comes into your life and he changes your life. Forever. People's heads are often down, you know, down, facing downwards. They're skeptical. They're following a routine and God breaks in. This is the kind of God we have. He breaks into our lives. And I wonder if God has broken into your life this evening. Have you had God come into your life? Have you had that experience where God seems to wake you up? And you realize you've been in a stupor for most of your life until now. But God has come and he has presented to you all the issues to do with eternity and salvation. Which we'll say more about later. Has God come into your life? Or are you just playing a game? Pretending. So it's an unexpected message. But secondly, it's, it's also an impossible message that Zechariah receives. Um, the, the message is this, that they will have a son, that there would be joy, that he would do a great work. They're going to have a son. What a great message to receive. Wouldn't you like to hear in advance that you're going to have, if you're going to have a son or a daughter and you, and you get that message that they're going to be great and they're going to do great things? I think any parent would love to hear that. But it's impossible for two reasons. The first reason is the obvious one, the practicality of it. So verse 7 tells us, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Well, that's two reasons why is it impossible to have a child? Elizabeth is barren, humanly speaking, and they're just old. <laughs> there comes a point where having children is no longer a possibility. And they probably come to that conclusion that you know, they couldn't have children. And there's, there's great sadness about that kind of situation. You can just feel the kind of sadness of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Together they love one another. 
but their love has never borne the fruit of children in their lives. How sad that can be for, and difficult it can be for couples like that. So we can feel the sense of sadness and impossibility about this announcement. But secondly, it's, it's impossible, maybe at an emotional level. So this is not just a boy who, who comes by accident. This is a boy who's in answer to prayer. You see, in Zechariah's role as a priest at the temple, it is highly unlikely Zachariah was praying personal prayers. Um, what do I mean? What, he's undoubtedly praying corporate prayers for Israel, for the multitudes outside. And on behalf of them, he is praying these great prayers. Maybe he had personal secret prayers about children. But he's really, just, he's really praying these big corporate prayers on behalf of Israel. And he's praying for the deliverance of Israel, that God would save his people. And that's a great prayer, of course, probably prayed every day for the last 400 years. Um, but, you know, when you do that, it can become a bit of a habit. You know, we'll just pray that prayer. It's like saying the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes people say it without really thinking about it. And we can all rattle it off. And maybe Zechariah is praying that prayer in this way. It's a bit humdrum, it's a bit ordinary. And maybe is Zechariah praying this prayer and thinking, if only that were true. But now God decides to answer that prayer, that corporate prayer about saving Israel. And this boy that's going to come is no ordinary boy. God is not just satisfying their personal desire for a child. This is an answer to the prayer to save Israel. Because this boy is going to come and he is going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Savior. And he is, and so God's hand is going to be upon him in that vitally important Role, the last role, I think, of the of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, before the Son of God comes. And this boy, John, is going to turn Israel to God. Isn't that an interesting statement? You know, here's here's Israel. Who, you might, who might be nominally Israel, and, and they're all saying, we believe in God. We go to the temple, whatever, however many times a year we have to, and we worship God. And God is saying, I'm going to turn those people through this, this boy. I'm going to turn those people to me. What's he saying there? He's saying Israel is going through the religious processes, but their hearts are far away from God. You know, this is true of any church, actually. You know, everybody can go through the processes. Go, go to the worship. Join in in the singing. Just join in in the praying. But your hearts could be far away from God. That's why we need conversion in churches. You know, to turn to God is what, another word for that is conversion. And God is going to convert Israel to God. It seems a weird thing to say, but that's what he's saying. 
You know, and evangelism often begins with the church. Because we need to see people in the church converted to Jesus Christ, converted to God. And they may not be. What a shocker. Churches can be full, and yet it can be full of, uh, of people who don't know Jesus Christ. They need to be turned. Well, this is what John is going to do. He's going to bring people to God. He's going to turn people to God. And there's going to be a restoration of relationships. You can see, begin to see the benefits of that turning to God in verse 17. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You know, parents loving their children. It's not automatic that parents love their children. Often parents are just loving themselves and their parents are a sideline. But when people come, come to God, they, they change and they begin to love their children in a new way. And what happens to the children? They begin to love their parents and they begin to be obedient children. Because they love God too. You see this restoring, whole-making work of the grace of God in family life. And all of, all of this, of course, tells you that in Israel at the time, uh, there was a kind of formal piety where their hearts were far from God. And there was full of broken relationships and there was disobedience in the, the then church. And God is answering the prayer of Zechariah by promising a son who would preach and prepare the way for the coming of salvation. A salvation worked out by God's eternal Son who would come in the flesh, stepping into history as a Savior. Imagine Zechariah hearing this message. And maybe thinking to himself, how could God do this for me? Not only that I could have a son, but that he would be a son who is a key to the, the saving work of God in the world. How impossible is that? <laughs> There's always something of the impossible about what God does. We are, we are entering into a season of the year when people will re- repeat messages like peace on earth and goodwill to all men and that's a Bible message. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men and we all raise our glasses and eat and drink and get merry until we die. That's the way the world deals with it. And people don't really believe it's true. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. But maybe some people are saying, if only God would work that salvation. If only God would would actually work that peace and goodwill. Well, he does. And he can. That when we preach and proclaim the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and we tell the world about all that Jesus has done, we really mean it because we believe it and we've discovered it ourselves. And this is our testimony now. Your testimony. Sometimes we have these discussions about what is a testimony. My testimony. My testimony is not not really my story about how I came to be where I am today. It's not about you. (laughs) 
It's about Jesus Christ and all that he's done. Your testimony is what you've discovered about him. You testify to him. And you tell people about him. You know, God can really speak into your life. He really can bring life to the deadness of people's hearts. He really can bring rejoicing to a cynical soul. This is our saving God. So it's an impossible message to receive in some senses. But thirdly, it was a doubted message. Um, and we understand that, you know, we can understand that Zechariah is kind of knocked out of step a little bit. He's perplexed, he's confused, he, he's thinking to himself, did I hear that right? Did I really understand that? And he says in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And you feel the doubts coming up. How can that be true? How can it be true? And he wants some sort of confirmation. And he he makes that classic mistake of not taking God at his word. If God has said something, then it's done. So why not just believe it? But he wants a sign. He wants something else. The word itself is not enough for Zachary. He wants something else. How am I going to know that that's true? How can I trust you? Well, God gives him a sign. Maybe not the sign he expected. And I think the the sign is both a rebuke and a sign at the same time. So it's a rebuke. he's, He's not able to speak until John is born. It's a rebuke because he doubted. And so he can't, he can't speak. And he's got to use sign language, however you do sign language. <laughs> he's got to point to things and write things or whatever. And, and he's not going to be released from that until the baby is born. But then it's also a sign as well, I think. Because you know, every day that he wants to say something to somebody, to his wife or to his fellow priests or whoever, uh, to minister to them, he, he, he can't do it. And every day he's going to remember, God has put this on me to remind me of the certainty of his word. And so every day it's going to be a sign to him. And he's going to rejoice in it. He's going to be constantly reminded of the promises of God. Friends, there are times when, when God needs to teach us lessons. And sometimes those lessons come through difficult times. And we, are, we find ourselves perplexed and puzzled. But can I suggest to you a couple of things that are, you can do easily? And, it's, and this is pretty standard stuff. First of all, that once more you return to God's word and read it and ask yourself what promises are offered to me in Jesus Christ. As you read the Bible, you should be... Gr- you're gleaning all of these promises out of the scripture and saying how is this making God's promises known to me so that I can trust him because all those promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ and then the second thing I suggest is that you pray that God would help your unbelief if you're struggling to know what God is doing in your life keep praying that God would help you in your unbelief. Keep asking him. Keep asking him. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. 
He wants you to keep doing it. He wants you to express desire for him. And therefore you need to keep doing it. People who don't have a desire for God don't keep praying. Keep doing it. And God has a habit of bringing peace of mind into the situation and a new wisdom that helps you do the right things. And who knows, in due time, God may lead you into better times with him out of the difficulty you face. So it was a doubted message. But lastly, and very quickly, it was a fulfilled message. Well, partially in this passage that we read, because Elizabeth conceives, amazingly, she conceives to have a child. And God works a miracle so that her womb is opened up and she is able to conceive a child with uh, Zachariah. And I just wonder what that must have been like for, for them both. You know, Elizabeth must have begun to feel the changes in her body because she was pregnant. How strange that would be for somebody advanced in years who's never experienced it before. And suddenly your body starts changing. And perhaps initially there's a lot of disbelief and you think, what, what's happening to me? I'm ill? What is, what's wrong with me? And then eventually it dawns on her. She's pregnant. She's expecting. And then Zachariah perhaps, as, as he sees his wife and, and the, the child growing in the womb and getting bigger and bigger, and maybe over time you begin to see the child moving around in the womb and you think, this is just so amazing. What an amazing thing. And all the doubts disappear as God brings about all that he has promised. Well, God was, God spoke through Gabriel and now he was acting. And preparations are underway for the coming of the Son. The Son who would be the Savior that Israel longed for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story, a very human story, and yet a supernatural story. And we thank you that it teaches us so much about your purposes in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would bless us as we continue to study these uh, chapters over the next few weeks. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.